Hi, good morning. Good morning. How is everyone doing this morning? Doing good? Good. All right, well, I'm excited this morning as we um, wrap up our series this morning on wisdom. Wisdom being the principal thing. Let me just mention real quick uh, we do have Bible study tonight uh, at 6 o'clock. Uh, a better way to pray. So uh, feel free to join us tonight. Uh, it should be it's probably our most popular night. Uh, that we anything that we do here. So anyway, we should have a good turnout tonight. Anyway, better way to pray tonight is so, um, so here we are this morning. We're going to wrap up our series on wisdom. Wisdom being the principal thing, and I want to kick off this morning as we wrap up. <coughs> yeah, and I go to our our founding verse for this series, which is uh, kind of the title of the, of the series. Wisdom is the principal thing. Proverbs chapter four, verse seven. And so I go back here as we kind of come to the conclusion of this uh, teaching series this morning. But it says in Proverbs uh, 4 7, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. I want to go here this morning again, as I did last week, uh, in a similar fashion as last week. And why am I teaching this? Why am I teaching on wisdom? First of all and foremost, wisdom is the principal thing. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I need wisdom. And we all need wisdom. We need wisdom in our marriages. We need wisdom in our families. We need wisdom in this church. We need wisdom in the workplace. We need wisdom in, every, in our parenting. We need wisdom even on a good day. Even with everything going well, we need wisdom. But there's kind of a second reason why I'm doing this is because of the hour that we live in. It doesn't, you don't have to go very far to see what's going on in our world today, in our own country, in our own state, in our own government, let alone the world. And we need wisdom in these last days. We need the wisdom of God, as I shared about in the very beginning of this series, versus the wisdom of man. The wisdom of man, Scripture says, will make the word of God of no effect. The wisdom of man is sensual, it's earthly, it's demonic, it says in James chapter 3. In comparison, the wisdom of God is pure, it's peaceable, <clears throat> it's willing to be entreated, it's without partiality, without hypocrisy, it's full of mercy and grace. And so we need wisdom, and we need wisdom in this hour. We need wisdom uh, to survive. And more importantly, though, I believe, that, as I taught at the beginning of the series, that wisdom is the Word of God. Wisdom is the power of God. Wisdom is the Gospel. Wisdom is Jesus Christ. And so, <clears throat> when I think of wisdom, I think of the spirit of wisdom. Uh, we have the spirit of wisdom in, in our hearts, and our spirits, those of us who are born again. But we need to under recognize the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of man. Because both are wisdom. And both will come across as wisdom. But one is, again, earthly, natural, sensual, but it's demonic. It's not from above. And it's not the wisdom of God. And in our, in our study, the last few weeks, we've been talking about how wisdom, according to Solomon's writing in Proverbs, has hewn out seven pillars and has built a house. And we've been looking at these seven pillars in the house of wisdom. We've looked at knowledge and understanding. We looked about judgment and the right, having righteous judgment. We've looked about justice and equity. Fairness in our in our judgment, in in our voc vocation of, of justice. Last week we looked at discretion, and we're going to finish up this morning with looking at subtlety. Now, from the surface, this might not seem like uh, a very popular message, but it's the wisdom of God, and it's, and, and these seven pillars are needed in if we're going to operate in wisdom. Again, we need to operate wisdom in this hour, in this day and age. Hopefully that makes sense, but I spend my heartbeat with all of this. 
we kind of stirred this too, and I let me just share this. In our last series, when we were talking about the gospel, the kingdom of God is here. We got the, uh, I'm forgetting even the title of that message right now, that series, but we were talking about the kingdom of God. We, read, we spent a lot of time in Matthew 13 looking at the parable of the sower. And how the sower sells seed on four different kinds of soil. The, the, the pavement, the, the stony soil, and the thorny soil, and then the good soil. And it, it says all four types of soil heard the word of God. But only the fourth soil heard and understood the word of God. And it produced some 30, some 60, and some 100 fold. I don't know about you, but I want to be the good soil. I want to hear the word of God, and I want to understand the word of God. I want to walk in wisdom. I want to, I want to live a life of wisdom as a pastor, as a husband, as a spiritual father. In any area of my life, I want to operate in the wisdom of God. Amen? We okay with that? So we've been looking again at the conclusion of the series, the, 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 the seven pillars of wisdom. And in doing so, uh, we're now come to our, our, the conclusion, the last pillar, which is subtlety. Now subtlety, and I'll just say this right off the back, subtlety can be very hard to understand in this sense. Mainly because when we think of subtlety, most of us, and most of us who have been anywhere around the Word of God, every time we've heard the word subtlety, we always hear it in a negative connotation. We're first introduced to the word subtlety in Genesis chapter 3, when it's describing the serpent that deceived Eve. And how the serpent was the most subtle, the most cunning of all the creatures. Paul echoes that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, when he says, I fear that the same way that the enemy beguiled Eve, the enemy will beguile you. The whole idea of beguiling, subtlety, is being used. And so, anytime we hear the word subtle in the scripture, almost every single time, it's talking about a serpent. And every time we talk about serpent, we're talking about Satan. So most people, when they hear subtlety being part of the pillars of wisdom... There's just a double take of like, you tell me to be like Satan? Okay? It just doesn't, it just doesn't, I mean, just from the surface, it's, it already brings up a wall or a filter of confusion. That makes sense? How can subtlety be part of the wisdom of God and building the house of God? And that, just, just by mentioning the topic, we lose people. But let's look at the Word of God and some things regarding subtlety from a good connotation. That makes sense? We okay with that? So I want, I want you to stop, I mean, excuse me, I stop. Start here, right now, with uh, looking at subtlety. Let's go to, uh, just to kick off, Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. In verse 16, <clears throat> and let me just switch the screen here. Oops. Sorry about that. We okay? We good? So okay. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, and Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Now we want to get to the latter part of this verse, but let's 
You know, so I, we've read this verse, or spoken this verse, or quoted this verse many times through the years. I think a lot of us have, but we've heard it. But I, I think sometimes in even quoting this verse, we even overlook the first, half, first part of this verse. He says, Behold, I send you sheep out of sheep in the midst of wolves. If you think about that in a natural sense, that is dangerous. He's sending us as sheep in the midst of wolves. In other words, Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm sending you into a very dangerous situation. And how many of you know if you send sheep in the midst of wolves, the wolves are more likely, naturally speaking, are going to kill the sheep. He's sending us into a, a situation that it, it may not turn out well. In context, he's talking about persecution will come. And I'm saying, sharing this even also in the, in the hour that we live in. I'm not here to promote gloom and doom. I'm not here promoting uh, fear. But Jesus said that he's sending us as sheep among wolves. Look at our society today. Look at our culture today. And, but, and he said, in, in sending you as sheep among wolves, he says, therefore, be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. Again, a serpent in Scripture describes the devil. And, and the serpent is wise. He's subtle. He's cunning. Okay? Now, I'm not talking about being so much cunning from an evil connotation. But Jesus said that we are to be wise as serpents. But harmless as doves. And that's huge. If we think about it. Is it making sense so far? Are you getting the picture? In other words, if I'm hearing God right, God wants us to be just as skilled in, in trapping the lost and getting them into the kingdom of God as the devil is entrapping people to take them, take them to his hell. God wants us to strategize and be wise in reaching people for good in the same way the devil strategizes in reaching people for harm. That makes sense? How many of you know that the devil is constantly scheming to entrap you to bring you harm? The devil is constantly and consistently and will not give up in scheming to entrap you to bring you harm. God wants you and I to be just as skillful and faithful in serving him and reaching people for good. He's sending us sheep among wolves. But we need to be wise as serpents. And harmless as doves. Now let's just throw out some definitions here in regards to subtlety. Okay? I kind of hopefully have already laid out the playing field of where I'm going with the, the subtlety in accordance to Scripture. Am I making sense this morning? Subtlety is, is defined as being fine or delicate in meaning or intent. To be subtle means to be prudent. We're going to see that in a few minutes. To be subtle means to be shrewd. We're going to look at that in a few moments. So you can probably tell where I'm going to go with that. It's being mysterious. It's difficult. Someone who's subtle is difficult to perceive and understand. There's a secrecy to it. Okay? How many of you know that some things are not obvious? They're not loud. Some things of God are subtle. And we'll look at that in a few minutes. In other words, some things of God are in mystery form. To us, it's the power of God. But to the world, it's a mystery. Okay? I'm not trying to think that we're going to be mysterious. But I'm also paying the, trying to paint a picture. We need to pay attention. 
There's something that we have to seek. We have to find. We have to look for. Scripture talks about how wisdom is crying out in the streets. Wisdom is the principal thing, but we need to go get it. And some things are not always as they appear. Now in the Hebrew, this word subtlety, and this will trip you up even more, if you haven't been tripped up already, it means trickery, guile, wily, crafty, cunning, and scheming. Now just on the surface, that does not sound like the wisdom of God. That does not sound like something a child of God should be involved with. <laughs> that makes sense? But again, I just want to make a point in, and I made a minute ago, the devil is constantly scheming to entrap you to bring you on. He's out to kill, steal, and destroy. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't give up. He doesn't take a vacation. He is out to kill you and destroy your life. But God wants us to be skillful in serving Him and pursuing Him and reaching people for good with the same wisdom but harmless as it does. That make sense? Now again, this Hebrew definition talked about trickery, guile, but another one of the words that it uses is wily. Wily. Now I don't know about you, but I sometimes like watching the cartoon The Roadrunner. Okay? You ever watch that? Looney Tunes? Roadrunner? What's his name? Wiley the Coyote. Wiley the Coyote. How many of you know, have ever watched the cartoon? Wiley is constantly scheming to entrap and do harm to Roadrunner. It's subtlety. Ever, you ever watch the show? He's constantly doing it. He doesn't give up. But have you also noticed that the runner, runner also operates in a superior subtlety that supersedes the subtlety of why the coyote. That is why the coyote never wins. Beep, beep. That make sense? <laughs> the devil is trying to trick us, to trap us, Using subtlety. But we are to be more prudent than the devil. We are to be more wise than the devil. We have subtlety upon subtlety as we see the problem coming. We see the trap coming and we go around the trap. And that's subtlety. You ever smell this one winter? He, he's wide and coyote, he's always scheming. But he just, he, there's, a, there's a subtlety about the robot, he just always avoids it. The trouble. He's not being harmful to wide and coyote. Because wide and coyote harms himself. He doesn't need any help. But he's not being, but he's being prudent. He's being subtle to avoid the trouble. Does that make sense? You see that? Okay. Let's go back to Scripture. Let's go to Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22, we'll pick it up, verse 3. So you can use cartoons now as a sermon illustration. That work for you? But I see Proverbs 22, verse 3. It says, A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. So a prudent man foresees danger and, and takes precautions. Those who, those without subtlety, those without Prudence. Don't 
you'll even see the devil coming. They fall right into his trap. A person who knows Jesus, wisdom is personified. A person who knows Jesus is operating in the pillar of subtlety. They've learned to see ahead of what is coming. Is what suddenly would put us they avoid trouble. What's some examples of this? I mean, some just can be very obvious, especially when you know you have a weakness in the flesh in a certain area. A plus B equals C. So if you don't go down the street, you don't go to the store, you don't pick up that book, or you don't pick up that remote, or whatever the, 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 the temptation is, you, uh, you, you just stay away. You avoid that trouble. That's something. There's some areas of our flesh when we're weak, we've known we've had problems in the past with addictions. We will use subtlety to avoid them. There's some people that we will use subtlety to avoid. There's other areas too. There's some churches, there's some teachers that I'm not going to listen to. Not because I feel like they're going to persuade me, they're going to get me probably all angry. And whatever. I don't have any desire. Hopefully I'm making sense. But there's some areas where we can use subtlety to avoid going down a certain road. If you find yourself addicted to something, I'm not just talking about alcohol or drugs and stuff, and that all can apply. But maybe you just find yourself spending too much watching time watching TV. Or playing video games, or whatever the case may be. Not that they're wrong in, in and of themselves, but if you can use this to discipline yourself with time management and, and whatnot, and just not opening a certain door and, and being self. That makes sense. I'm using that just in the set of example. How does this work? And this is just some of those ways. But in, this, in the hour that we're living in, in the direction that our world is going. And the Bible has prophesied how it will go to some degree. In our next series, we're going to be looking at seeing Jesus in the book of Revelation. We will deal with some of the end time events. We're not going to focus on that. That's not going to be our main message. Because I don't believe that's the main message of the book of Revelation. We're going to highlight Jesus in the book of Revelation. We're going to touch on some things. But we need, one thing I'm going to touch on when we get to some of the the end time stuff is we need to keep Jesus as our focus. If we do not keep Jesus as our focus, then the things of this world can overcome us. Jesus has to be our focus. That's subtlety. Uh, there's a lot I can go with that. Let's go to Proverbs 27 12. This making sense? See, someone who's subtle doesn't have to announce they're being subtle. Actually, if you announce you're being subtle, it's not working. <clears throat> Roadrunner doesn't announce that he's being subtle. Wiley Coyote, it's all, it's everything he's doing. He's consumed with everything he's doing, with being Wiley. But Roadrunner just goes around it, avoids it. See, uh, Proverbs 27, 27, 12 says almost the same thing, actually, it's almost identical. A prudent man perceives evil and hides himself, but several pass on and are punished. Subtlety is learning to adapt to your surroundings and see God work. Um, there's a lot I can expound just on that. You know, subtlety is not just avoiding the trouble. That's part of it. Big part of it. But it's also seeing God's perspective. And the only way you're going to know that is using the other set of pillars. And one of the main points we've been trying to, to, to keep throughout this, the fibers of this message is that we need to have a relationship with God. You are not going to learn how to be subtle in a good way, as we're talking about, if you do not have a relationship with God. Jesus had to avoid trouble at times. And he used subtlety. But I believe a lot of that stems from 
him having a relationship with his father. Go with me to Second Kings, chapter ten. Second Kings, chapter ten. And we'll go to verse nineteen in just a moment. But I need to, uh, for time's sake, I just need to give you some background here. So Second Kings, uh, we don't go there a lot. But Second Kings, chapter ten. And go ahead and park. In verse 19, I'm going to give you a little bit of backdrop, and I want to read the, the whole story. Second Kings chapter 10, we're dealing with King Jehu. Now Jehu is, and a lot of us know, Jehoshaphat. He's Jehoshaphat's son. And Jeho King Jehu was a good king. He walked in the ways of God and of the Lord. But in, in, in context, and, 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 and also in, in context, we also have Ahab, Jezebel, and we have Elijah is on the scene. Uh, we have the, 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 the Baal worship, and uh, Je Jezebel is trying to kill the prophets of God and Bill of Banks, and it's a, it's a very ugly situation. In 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 7, Elijah prophesy specifically how the house of Ahab will fall. And specifically even how Jezebel will die. It's a very gruesome prophecy and it's a very gruesome story. But <clears throat> in 2 Kings chapter 10 we find out how Jehu smote the house of Ahab with a righteous judgment which we talked about in our in our um, in our series here on judgment. I'm sorry, I just took my notes here. But after Jehu had already dealt with Ahab's house and Jezebel, in that whole scenario, Ahab died, Jezebel had, had died. But there's still all these bell worshippers. Bell worship was still at large. And so what Jehu did. He wrote a letter to all of these bell worshippers saying, you thought, you thought Ahab was bad. Come to, I'm going to have this big conference, this big meeting. It's going to be better, it's going to be bigger than what Ahab did. He invited them, they came, and whatever, they all got in one house, and then he killed them. The whole thing, I mean, the whole scheme was, he, he, he told them that he was, he was going to worship Baal and give them things. He got them to come into this Baal conference, if you will. Baal expo, if you will. I'm trying to put it into some modern, modern. And then when he gets them all in one house, he, he slaughters them. He kills them. That whole scheme is subtle. It's subtlety. And in verse 19, it says, Now therefore call to me, all the prophets of Baal and all of his servants and all his priests, and let no one be missing, for I have a great sacrifice for Baal. Whoever is missing shall not live. And this part, but Jehu acted deceptively, deceptively, with the intent of destroying the worshippers of Baal. I want you. I, I don't again. I don't have time to go into all this. Go, jump down to me in verse thirty. And the Lord said to Jehu, Because you have done well in doing what is right in my sight, and have done to the house of Ahab and all that was in my heart, your son shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. In other words, Jehu used subtlety to destroy the worshippers of Baal, and God commended Jehu and blessed him generationally to the fourth generation. God blessed his subtle deception. Jehu schemed, he strategized, he planned, Jehu deceived all these demon-possessed people, and he, he dealt with it. Now, I know this is Old Testament, and we're not, we're not here to, I mean, we know that in the New Testament, we do not, our wrestle is not against flesh and blood. We are not fighting people. 
We are not going to invite all of the demon-possessed people in our land so we can slaughter them. We're not doing that in the New Testament, okay? But we are at war against all principalities and powers. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're spiritual and they're mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. That's important that we get that. We are at war, but our weapons are not carnal. They're not natural, but they are spiritual and they are mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. And where are strongholds? In the mind. And again, going back to Matthew 10 where we started this morning, God is sending us as sheep among wolves. We need to learn to strategize by the Spirit of God in the Spirit of wisdom to destroy the work of the devil in people's lives. That's huge. I'm not so much trying to strategize to change a country in one shebang. I'm not saying that can't happen. But I am trying to change a country by changing lives one life at a time. That makes sense? I mean, a country is represented by people. And I can't change a country, but I can change people one life at a time. I can destroy by the wisdom of God, by the power of God, I can destroy the works of the devil one life at a time. How do you know even in the apostles, they didn't have the technology we have today. They didn't have the resources we have today to go from one nation to another nation within hours. But within 30 years, within just a little short time, they were known to have turned the world upside down or right side up with Jesus Christ. They preached the gospel. We need to learn how to reach hurting people and to win them over with sincerity. So that they open their hearts and we can bring them out of, out of and release them from the powers of darkness that they are involved in. So many people are here, my age and older, and in my generation, have said, and I've heard this about every generation, they don't know how to reach the younger generation. But I will here to tell you today, the same gospel can reach them. But we need wisdom. We need subtlety in how to reach them. I'm not saying this with everyone, but some people, it's going to take some wisdom, some subtlety. We're not, we're not going to compromise our values in the sense of sin. But we may compromise some of our preferences in how we do it. I may compromise some of my style of music. I'm not going to, I'm not talking about the words, the lyrics. The, 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 the message that is in the Psalms. I'm not going to compromise that. But I may compromise the style. I may compromise some things. We are, we are in a coffee generation. We are in a, a technical generation with phones and all kinds of gadgets. And we need wisdom by the Spirit of God to reach this generation. Not compromising the truth, not compromising our morals. We're going to have sound, righteous judgment and justice in doing that. We're, and we're going to have discretion in what we do. And we need to have subtlety to reach the generation. This generation. That makes sense. Let me just say this, though. And I just want I throw this out as a footnote. This is not a major point. But there is a minority group. They're rare. They're not everywhere. And again, the key word, operative word, is minority group. They are so hardened in their hearts with sin. So blinded by demonic powers, subtlety will not reach them. There's some people, they're minority, they're not rare, they're not the main people I'm talking about. But there's some people you basically have to get in their face. Because they already have one foot in hell in a sense. 
I'm saying there's, there's some people, there's a minority group, but there's some people, subtlety won't work. That makes sense? It's not going to work for every single person. But there's some people with subtlety. We're not trying to be... We're not trying to manipulate. That's not what we're after. There's a difference there. But we're using subtlety. And some guys, and we'll, get, we'll get into that. Some guys just a minute. I get a little ahead of myself. But most people don't need you to preach to them. Most people, if you preach to them, you will lose them. I'm talking about preaching at them. That makes sense? And the church at large has driven many people away from God because they preached at them. If we don't understand the pillar of, this pillar of subtlety and how to reach people in a way they will open up like a flower to receive. We need to learn by the Spirit of God, by the wisdom of God, how to reach people for Christ in this hour. How do we outsmart the devil? Because there is a spiritual war. There are lies that are at stake. The devil is skillful. He is subtle. He is crafty. He is deceiving. He is out entrapping people. But I want to tell you today that the Word of God, the Gospel of Christ, Jesus Christ, is more wise and more powerful than any other darkness scheme that, that this wily devil has. We're like Roadrunner. No matter what he does, we can go around it. We can maneuver around it. We can go through it, whatever the case may be. Because the Spirit of God, excuse me, in us, is more skillful and is more powerful in reaching people than the devil is in killing people. We're going out among wolves like sheep. But by the Spirit of God, we can be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. But in doing so, we need to be willing to lay down some of our personal That making sense on some on some levels. Again, some examples. Some churches, for example, I know we're meeting in the home, and so it's a little different here. But some churches they might have a, a coffee shop. I know Dwayne Sheriff, where a lot of my notes come from in this series, which I've shared before. He said he'll, he'll talk to his own congregation. So some people some people have a hard time with a coffee shop being at the front door. It's not like he's trying to promote coffee over the gospel, but he's trying to get some people, a generation of people, into the house so he can minister the gospel, so he can minister the truth. And some people, because of, they're not willing to be subtle in that way, they're not willing to lay down their personal purposes, they can't accept that. And I don't drink coffee, so I get that in that but my heart, I will go have coffee. I'll drink coffee to reach somebody if I need to. That makes sense? I'll re drink coffee over any other type of booze or any other type of thing. I'm not going to drink that. I don't think I have to drink coffee or soda or anything else to reach people. Because I don't like kind of one. And some people think I'm weird. I think they're weird. But it's okay. But I'll go sit down and have coffee. I mean, at Starbucks, I like, I like that. The pastries, I'll have some of that. But doesn't that make sense? Um, we must learn to deny ourselves our pride and, because people are more important than some of our preferences. Okay? Another example, like Wiley the, the Coyote, the Roadrunner, is a chameleon. A chameleon sees the danger coming. And he changes his color to avoid it. Those who do not understand subtlety will not be able to discern in a hypocrite who is changing color so you will love them. But they can trick you to believe they are something they are not. And those who do understand stability, a Christian changing colors to, to adapt to their environment not for me, but for you. I, also, I can get a little ahead of this, and we'll see this a little bit more 
have to compare Peter and Paul and just a few moments. But before I go there, excuse me if I confused you, go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And uh, we'll pick it up verse 19. Um, I want to look at all this context, but I want to get enough context here and let's see what I'm going with. We're going to read a, about four or five verses here. So, 1 Corinthians 9, verses, starting with verse 19, and Paul says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant, or a bondservant, to all men, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without the law. Not being without the law towards God, but under law towards Christ. That I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I become as weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be a partaker of it with you. Paul taught, Paul preached, we're not under the law. But the son, without compromising his principles, will come as if he's under the law, to win those under the law. Those who are without the law, he's not going to go into sin. He's not going to do something immoral or, or wrong. But he's going to come out from under the law to win those without the law. In other words, he will, without compromising his values and his truth and, and, and who he is in Christ, he will be all things to all people that he might win some. That's subtlety. That makes sense? And some people we're trying to reach, we need the wisdom of God, how far we go with this and different things and whatnot. And it's hard to go there if we don't, aren't, don't have a foundation of who we are in Christ and we don't have the gospel. So many people are, are mocking the law because we're not in the law. I agree we're not in the law. But I'm also here not trying to throw the baby out with the bathwater and losing those who are under the law still. I want to reach them. And just being uh, ugly about it is not going to win them. That makes sense? But there's a way to reach them. There's a way to be subtle. But Paul's main motive here is to bring people to Christ. Paul talked about... In, uh, I know... I don't see where I have it in my notes. I thought in verse 21, but but Paul talks about his teachings. You'll see it in his teachings. You'll see it in James as well, in Jesus' teachings. But Jesus said this way in John 13 that a new commandment I give you that you love one another. We are to love one another. We are to serve one another. We are to, it's a new command. How many of you know that Jesus loves us unconditionally? We need to love one another unconditionally. Jesus got into our mess. Jesus humbled himself and came to earth and got into our mess and went to the cross for us, even while we were still sinners, in order to bring us out and to give us a new life. We hate what pe some people do, but we love them. Until we identify with them to at some level, we're not going to reach them. We don't become their sin. And there's no sin we can, I but there's no, uh, you know, let me say it this way, let me slow down. We're never going to participate in their sin. But there's no sin that anyone can ever commit that I can't believe. I know that can be hard to digest. But even some sins that just, where, how, what happened? 
There's something, I don't, I'm not telling me I understand their sin. But I can understand their heart of why they're hurting. Or maybe if I heard the story, I can understand maybe why they're so messed up. I might not agree with their decision process. I might not agree with their debauchery and different types of behaviors. But I can identify with their hurting heart. I can identify with their lostness. I might not agree with them, and I'm not going to come down to their level, but I can identify with them to some level so I can bring them to Christ. That make sense? It takes subtlety to do that. God came to me to bring me to where I am today in Christ. By the grace of God. You know, the, even when I had times when I was in sin, the more people tried to preach at me and condemn me, the more I wanted to go the other direction. I knew it was wrong. I knew they were right. But their approach drove me away. What won me over in areas where I had weakness was the love of God, the grace of God that taught me I don't have to put up with this. And it caused me to humble myself and say, Lord, I need help. See the difference? And why are we identifying with not so I can become like them, but so I can connect with them to bring them out of who and what they are in and bring them into Christ. I try to find some common ground with everyone, some people's heart, to save them. I do everything to, I will do everything in it is to spread the gospel, the good news. But now there's one thing I won't do. I won't participate in their sin. There's a difference. There's a line I won't cross. Jesus hung out with the publicans and sinners. He didn't sin. He didn't participate. But he did hang out with them. To identify with them. To win them over. The publicans and sinners They have wanting nothing to do with the Church of Christ. Let me just tell you this. As our church grows, as our ministry grows, our depending on how it grows, how it doesn't grow, I will take a sinner over a Pharisee any day. I can't reach a Pharisee. They're hard, they're critical, they're judgmental. They won't listen. They're not most sinners I've met are teachable. I get it. There's, there's some, like I said earlier, there are some bad cases out there. But I believe they're a minority group. But a Pharisee? They, that, that's a leaven that will leaven the whole lump. They will spoil. It's throwing my pearls before swine. Jesus could not change Pharisees. A few did turn around, Nicodemus. Some others, like Paul was a Pharisee. I'm not saying they are without our hope. But they are a challenge. And, uh, but I, I, I mean, again, Dwayne Sheriff said, he, he, he said, Lord, 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 please don't send them here. And Dwayne's not, he's, no, there's no bones about it. He doesn't want them in his church. He is okay when the Pharisee people leave. There's a part of him that celebrates that. He, he's with us. Our hearts hurt that they are where they are. But that type of attitude can affect the whole church. Uh, I don't have to turn here, but in Galatians chapter Paul rebukes Peter publicly 
from being a hypocrite. He rebuked him for acting one way with the Gentiles and another way with the Jews. And in Galatians 2.13, he says even Barnabas was starting to act like Peter. See, we, we just talked about how Paul adapted to his surroundings to reach people. But he didn't do it to be accepted and loved, which is hypocrisy. He did it to reach them. But on the surface, what's the difference between what Peter, Paul did and Peter did? Paul is commended for being all things to all people. But Peter is condemned and rebuked for, being, for acting like the Gentiles. See, Peter wanted to be accepted by the Jews and by the Gentiles. And in doing so, Peter looked down at the Gentiles. And that's hypocrisy. That's wrong. It's not tricking people to like me. Paul connected with people. He was authentic. He was a real He said, I understand where you are at. I've been there. But let's walk out of this junk. Let's walk out of this darkness. Paul connected with people that went up to Christ. He did connect with people that went up to himself. There's a difference there. There's partiality there. There's hypocrisy there. Does that make sense? And there's a difference. In Acts chapter 17... We have two different scenarios in the first 15 verses. Again, time taken on Afghanistan, I read all these stories. But in Acts chapter 15, he was in Thessalonica, and, and Paul, as Paul preached, a riot broke out. And he, he escaped. He was jailed. He was stoned. But he escaped. And then, in the last latter part of Acts chapter 17, Paul goes to Athens all by himself. Paul began to adapt to the surroundings of, this, of Athens where there was a lot of idolatry. They had gods of every kind. They even had this rock called the unknown God. They even, I mean, they didn't even know the God's name, but they just, they called it the unknown God. But Paul used subtlety by the wisdom of God and says, is it the unknown God? I know who he is. And he preached Christ. And they came to Christ. They were preaching, they were, they were worshiping a rock, an unknown God. And Paul just used substance. He said, I know who he is. And he made him known to them. That makes sense? And there's subtlety. And he reached many people. It's a beautiful story. But uh, also, too, there's a couple things I'm trying to do as I'm kind of closing this out. There's a difference between also being used in subtlety and flat-out lying. I just think i got to bring out a couple of different uh, warnings with this. i got to paint the picture of what subtlety is not. That makes sense? David in 1 Samuel chapter 21, again, I'm not going to read all the story. David was fleeing King Saul. And in doing so, he came into the priests. He told the priests, which was a lie, that he was on a mission for Saul. But in all reality, he was fleeing from Saul, the king. The king is the government. The king would be the police, the government. He was a doing a mission for Saul. He was fleeing from Saul. Saul was hunting him. In other words, he was a fugitive. And he sought weapons, and, and that's where the priest gave him Goliath's sword. We, I mean, we even we'll read about this in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus will talk about when David ate the showbread. And when Jesus was more concerned about a man's heart, about people, than he was about that. That's what Jesus, in the context of the story, brings out. But David did lie to the priests. 
And eventually, it cost the priest his life for showing sanctuary to David. Lying, sinning, will always have consequences. I'm not going to draw a lot of that. But in the same chapter, in the next context, David found himself in uh, with, with the Philistines. And he found sanctuary there. But the people come to realize who David was. And they came to complain to their king. That you know the saying, Saul kills his thousands and David kills his tens of thousands? This is the guy who kills tens of our thousands. Why are you harboring him? Why are you keeping him in our city? And when the king got with him, he came, he came to David, but then David, using subtlety, pretended to be a madman. Now, I'm not talking about a man, angry man, but I'm talking about a man that didn't look like he needed to go to a special, one of those crazy farms. And because of that, he was able to escape to the cave of Adullam. Again, using some proverbs that we've already talked about this morning. There are some situations where subtlety demands your survival and escape from danger. We need to be filled with the Spirit of God. We need to operate with other, the other six pillars of wisdom that we've been talking about so we can make righteous sound judgments and learn how to avoid danger. But even though we need subtlety to learn how to avoid danger, let me just make those statements. And I think I said this last week. There are some mountains I'm willing to die on. But I'm not going to die on every mountain. That makes sense. And it takes subtlety. It takes wisdom. The Spirit of God. Sometimes, as I've talked about last week with discretion, some things we need to learn what to let go and move on. Lastly, I just want to look at one more example. The parable of the shoe manager in Luke chapter 16. Again, I'm not going to turn to that. But this, this, the shoe manager, he was caught for what he was doing and he was fired. But on the way out, he found his master's creditors and he made a deal with them. Let's say they that the creditor owed the master a hundred dollars. The shoe manager said, just pay me fifty. He made a deal with all of his creditors. Why? Because he was too proud to beg. And if he made friends with his creditors, he could have a place to live. Food on his table. It was crafty, it was cunning, it was subtle. And the master commended him for his subtlety. Again, subtlety can be very hard to understand. But one of the best ways I understand it in the context of the gospel, in the context of what we're trying to get out here this morning, is looking at Wiley, the Coyote, and Roadrunner. Look in the verse of where Jesus said, I send you out a sheep of my wolves. Be wide as serpent, but harmless as doves. Again, this whole message on wisdom as we conclude it this morning. Solomon says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Go get it. We've talked about how wisdom is crying out in the street. We've talked about in this series the difference between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of man. We look at seven pillars, and I said throughout the series, none of us have mastered any of these pillars. But we need the wisdom of God to, so we don't operate in the wisdom of man, because the wisdom of man sounds like wisdom because it is. But we need the wisdom of God how many of you know we're the head and not the tail? We're above and not beneath. We are the children of God. 
And I believe the wisdom of God, like Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote, is wiser than the Wiley Coyote. But we need wisdom. We need subtlety. We need the other seven, six pillars too. We can't just be doing all subtlety and no knowledge and understanding. We need equity. That's probably one of my favorites, just fairness. But it just uh, but we need all seven of these pillars. Ultimately, we need the wisdom of God. It's pure. It's peaceable. It's willing to be entreated. It's without partiality. It was full of mercy and grace. We need the wisdom of God. Wisdom is is not hard to be found. It's crying out in the streets. But we need to find it. We need to get it. We need to pursue it. We need to have a relationship with God. Wisdom is the principal thing, but we need to go get it. It won't, it's not second nature. It won't just come to you. It's there. It's open. It's not hidden. It's not hard to find. But we have to get it. And we have to continue to get it. And we have to operate in it. That makes sense? But it stems from a relationship with God. We can operate all seven of these pillars, but we don't have a relationship with God. That's foolish. And that is a house that is about ready to have destruction. You cannot have knowledge and understanding, which are two different other pillars, without a relationship with God. You cannot operate. And without the wisdom of God, without you can't discern the difference between the wisdom of man and the wisdom of God. Because it sounds like wisdom. And in this hour, and this age, what the, our government is doing, what persecution and, the, and, the, and all these other things are arising, we need the wisdom of God to discern, to be prudent in this hour, in this age, as just as Christians, as pastors and ministers, as in our marriages. I mean, the government is attacking marriage. The government is attacking gender. The government is attacking all kinds of different things. We need to be wise in this day. If we don't, we're going to be messed up people. We don't even know if we're male or female. We don't know if we're if we're if we're, if we're in the zoo or can we came from goo. We just we won't know. But we need the wisdom of God, and we need the wisdom of God not just for ourselves, but we need the wisdom of God to reach them. Amen. As we conclude the series, like I said, I'm going to start a new series starting next week about seeing Christ or seeing Jesus in the Revelation. We're going to look at the book of Revelation. I've never taught of the book of Revelation. One, because I don't want to. It's not because I, it's the Word of God, right? but I've I seen so many people focus so much on the doom, gloom and doom. They focus so much on the tribulation and the Antichrist and all that's there. But I believe that the God is a book on the revelation of Jesus. And so God's put in my heart and says, well, people are not going to know that unless you teach that. And it goes along with this series here. Uh, that's kind of why I'm going here. I mean, the hour that we live in, the things coming on the earth, I need to, as a pastor, to point us in the direction that we, in the midst of the storm, the persecution storm, the different things that might be coming, I don't want the gloom and doom to be the focus. I want Christ to be the focus. Because that's the message in that book. And we're going to be looking at it. It'll probably about, be about four or five week lesson, five, five lessons in this. Uh, we'll spend the first one or two in uh, chapter one. There's a lot of foundational things as we get before we get into the other part of the book. Actually, uh, I'm going to get ahead of myself. And then we'll spend a, a one or two Sundays on looking at the chapter two and three, and then we'll spend probably about one Sunday looking at the rest of the book. And I'm not going to go in detail with all the trip and Antichrist type stuff, but i got to point Christ in the midst of all that. And that's, that's, that's going to be the thing. Uh, I'm going to sound like a broken record uh, the next few weeks. Christ is the focus. Uh, and that, it's a revelation. It's going to be revealed. It's making it plain. It's making it known. Christ in this book. Amen? Because when some of the stuff that does happen on the earth, we need to keep Christ as our focus. Otherwise, our faith can become shipwrecked with the things coming on the earth. Jesus prophesied that. 
and make his heart wax cold of the things coming down the earth. We need to have Jesus, and he has to be the focus. Amen? Lord, we worship you, we magnify you, we glorify you. We thank you for wisdom. Help us again, sit on the Lord, to pursue it, to seek it, and to walk and, to, and, to, and operate in the wisdom of God. We worship you, we thank you. As Solomon prayed for wisdom, Lord, we also pray for wisdom. We thank you. We thank you that Jesus is the wisdom of God and the power of God. In Jesus' name we give you thanks. Amen. Amen.